and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. You know, here at the, I thought only one thing at the end there, I have to be honest. I was thinking, you know, with how cold it is outside and we came in and rainy and things, how nice it would have been to be hearing that song and processing the message of God's love like that with a cup of hot chocolate in my hands. (laughs) So this morning I may just go watch the service again and do that. And somebody online saying, yeah, I just did that (laughs) on this cold day. Here at the Tabernacle, we are not competing with our past, we're celebrating it. So we celebrate our past, but we're not competing with it. God is at work in our day. And we're looking to see where God's at work and joining Him in what He's doing. And it's an exciting time to be alive, isn't it? There are so many challenges in our area and in the world, but God knew what He was doing when He put you here, you and I here together for such a time as this. Whether you already know more people in heaven or whether you're just getting started here, first week visiting, God has a purpose and plan for you as an individual and for us together as a church family. And we are so glad you're here. And the message of that song, I just can't reinforce it enough. Well, if you've got your Bible with you, let me see them. Hold them up there. It is awesome to bring a copy of God's Word into God's house to hear a message from God's man. And we're going to put this affirmation, we haven't done it in a while here, but we're going to put it up. And I want you to say this together with me. When the child of God looks into the Word of God and sees the Son of God, they are transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That was a something my mother-in-law has framed right where she reads her Bible and studies and things like that. And uh, it has always really influenced me, and that's why I wanted you to know it as well. Warren Wearsby, one of the best Christian servants of the last 50 years, teaching in so many different ways. Now let me show you one of the great works of art history. Michelangelo's sculpture of King David. Well, the top half of the sculpture anyway. When Michelangelo began working on the 17-foot block of marble in 1501 that became the David, it had laid unworked on for 26 years. Two artists had worked on it before that and left their own indentions. They had left their own scars. They had left their own holes in that marble. And 26-year-old Michelangelo worked for two years on the marble block. And you know what he did? He incorporated the flaws and the holes and in the indentions into the masterpiece that he was working. Uh, Trained eye, when they look at it from different vantage points, can sometimes see where the work before meets the work that he did to bring it all together. The result is that over 500 years later, if you're an art enthusiast and you've got a bucket list, like they talk about bucket lists, arts, artworks you want to see before you die, one of the things on your list is to go to Florence, Italy, and to see Michelangelo's David. So Michelangelo, he took a big block of flawed marble and turned it into a masterpiece. You know what he did? 
as he worked on it, he chiseled away what shouldn't be there. He chiseled away what didn't need to be there until what was left matched exactly the image that was in his mind of bringing David, King David, to life. Do you know that once you became a Christian, God started doing the same thing in you? I just love Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship. Those of us saved by God's grace through our faith, we are his workmanship. The Greek word is poema. It's the word masterpiece. You're already a masterpiece if you're born again because something becomes a value from a master the moment he begins working on it or she begins working on it. It becomes a masterpiece. God says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works don't save, but they adorn the professing Christian's life, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God, the master artist, is working in the Christian's life now. He's chiseling away from you what should not be there. So all that remains is what conforms to the perfect image of you. You don't even know what the best you would be like, but God does. He, knew, he, he knows the exact you at your best the you he's redeemed you to be, the you that will be all that's left when you go to heaven and later live on a new earth and God gives you, puts your DNA profile back together in a new body uh, without the sin and just that glorious life that he has for you to live there in that new body. Of course, he also has a perfect template, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, when he was on earth. He lived the perfect life we all fall short of. He did the good things we should do but don't, the things that we should say but don't, all those different things. And so he, uh, there, we're going to show you a verse at the end where you have a destiny. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're truly his child, if you're born again, he, your destiny is to become more and more like Jesus until you're the perfect you in heaven one day, like so many of our members who have uh, now gone to the other side. It's true in their life. So on Sanctity Human Life, we, we celebrate the inherent value and worth everyone has because they're created in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1. What God formed was deformed through Adam and Eve's fall into sin and the subsequent sin nature we inherit from them. So we've been formed for a purpose, but deformed through sin. And before we become believers, the real us is trapped inside a proverbial block of marble. Somebody called you a blockhead once. I've been called that many a time. Uh, we're trapped in there somewhere, ready to come out, ready to be brought out by the master. But thanks to Christ's work on the cross, when we become believers, what was deformed through sin now can be transformed back into the image of God. And so as believers, we actually have double value. Everyone on earth, whether they ever become a believer or not, has value because they're created in the image and likeness of God. But all people were also the subject of Christ's work on the cross. And so when you become a believer, you have double value, you understand. And we put a tent on everybody's head because anybody that's not a believer can become a believer by turning to Christ, right? The work of Christ on the cross was sufficient to save everyone who ever believes, but it's efficient to save only those who actually do. God, the Holy Spirit is drawing people to turn to Christ. And when they do, they discover, man, I've got double value. I was created in the image and likeness of God. And I was the object of Christ's saving concern. He wanted to bring me home to the Heavenly Father and say, look who I brought home, Daddy. I think I've told you before about the time that um, 
some of you haven't heard this, uh, the time that uh, I was at Bryan College and I had such a, a what they call a low self-esteem. I, I hadn't raised my Christ esteem up enough yet to understand that if, if you understand you're a 10 in Christ, it doesn't matter that you think of yourself as a zero because you're a 10 in him, right? So I was calling myself a loser one day and this dear Bahamian girl named Latina Lightborn in her beautiful Bahamian accent said, Donnie, you are not a loser. You were created in the image and likeness of God and Jesus died for your sins. Therefore, you have infinite value. And I don't think I've ever called myself a loser again. How come that's the kind of thing you don't say more to each other when you're talking to them? To build them up like that song just did that was sung. Now we're back in Colossians 3 this morning, so if you haven't turned to Colossians 3 yet, do that. In the first two chapters, we saw Paul make clear to us that we have an all-sufficient Savior who has given us an all-sufficient salvation. And our response must be to appreciate who we are in Christ and live by faith based on our position in Christ. So God's given us this position, chapters 1 and 2 that we hear about. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 does the same thing. And in the second half of Colossians, as in the second half of Ephesians, uh, we are told about practices that will adorn our position in Christ. Now, last time, our message was the Christian and sexual purity. A couple weeks ago, preached that. And we saw that we're called to mortify or to kill off our sexual sins. We heard the great, great quote by the Puritan John Owen when he said, You must always be a killing sin, or sin will always be a killing you. And today's message just goes the next step forward in Colossians. It's the Christians and speech purity. Today we'll see that we're called to mortify or kill off our social sins, the sins we commit in relationship with others and the words that come out of our mouth because there's anger in our hearts and jealousy and things like that about others. So Colossians 3 verses 8 through 11, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing you put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. The Christian and speech purity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. My heart is full this morning. Uh, came in cold, but you've warmed my heart through the singing time and the praises we've given to you. You are a good, good father. And I just thank you so much for how you've put together the service today, Lord. And now as we look into your word, we pray that this concept of putting off what should not be part of our Christian testimony and putting on that which is consistent with our testimony. May we have that so in our mind that we can visualize it the next time we're about to say something sinful or do something sinful, that we put off the old man and put on the new that you've created us to be. Lord, thank you that you're chiseling away at us the same way that Michelangelo was chiseling away at David to bring out the image of what needed to be. And Lord, thank you that you're taking the template of Jesus Christ and you're chiseling away at Danny Campbell. You're chiseling away at the people in this room. And Lord, I thank you for those listening who they may still be eavesdropping because they don't know you yet. Thank you that they're here with us today, this morning. Thank you that they're watching online or will watch later. Lord God, I pray that you, they would be so drawn by your love that they'd receive you as Savior and follow you as Lord get in on this great gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, you said if you were lifted up, you would draw all people to yourself. And so I ask you to draw people to yourself this morning. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is in this room and in this place and in this world convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Thank you that you've elevated unbelief to the very top sin. There are many people listening, so many people that feel so unworthy, and they're thinking, if, if, if the preacher knows what I've done, he wouldn't be preaching this to me. But thank you, Lord, that you tell us we don't need to know what people have done. We know what you've done for sinners. And the only sin that will still send somebody to hell is unbelief. So I pray for unbelief to turn to belief today. And I thank you that once a person does believe and follows you as Lord God, that you put your Holy Spirit inside and you start that good work of refining us and reforming and transforming what was deformed because of sin. Lord God, meet us this morning as we talk about the Christian and speech purity. In your name I pray, amen. Well, in the first part of verse 8, we see that the Christian is called to put away the anger behind our speech sins. So look again at the first part of verse 8. He says, but now you must put them all away And he starts with three words, anger, wrath, and malice. Before sinful speech comes through our mouth, it comes out of our sinful hearts and minds. And it includes sinful practices we learn based on Satan's lies, going all the way back to our childhood. It includes sinful things we heard our daddies and mommies and grandparents say. It includes sinful things we heard our classmates at school say. It includes things our buddies from the army joked about. It includes people from work and even at church. Things that they said that really were kind of not how the scripture would have a Christian speak, but they were at church. Oh, you know, dad said it, so it must be okay. My friend said it, so it must be okay. My church said it was okay. So it just, it includes those things. It includes all kinds of sinful things. Crass jokes about the opposite sex. Yelling at fellow drivers when we're driving. Hasty generalizations about those kind of people. Well, those kind of people are somebody's kid. It includes racist statements and stereotypes, bits of gossip about our neighbors, criticisms of fellow churchgoers, glee when a political opponent gets caught up in a scandal. It includes all those things. It got inside you along with the good things you learned along the way. You learned a mixture of good and bad things, and then you got saved. And and God forgave your sins. The Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. And and because the Holy Spirit went from being around you, in the world around you, to suddenly coming inside of you, the Spirit of Christ coming inside of you, you felt connected. And that's why the stars seemed a little brighter the next time you saw them. You saw your sense of joy at the next time you heard a Christian song was was so good. And then you went outside and you got back in that car and you're driving again and somebody cut you off. And the next opportunity arose. And the next opportunity arose. The next opportunity arose to deal with something with your heart and what would come out of your mouth. How did you respond? For a good number of us, we responded not the way a Christian's called to do, but with those same sinful practices we learned based on Satan's lies, going all the way back to your childhood. And so there you were. You went ahead and at the water cooler and joined those people talking crudely about women. You continued to yell and shake your fist at the stoplight at fellow drivers. You stereotyped someone based on their race as if they were the representative of the entire race. You joined in gossip. You criticized their, your fellow churchgoer, that pastor. You cursed someone on the other side of an issue. 
Now, if you're really saved, the Holy Spirit convicted you that your words were not pleasing to God. But sometimes, because people around you still did it, you just kind of still went there over and over again. And you did it again. And you became sinfully comfortable with a compartmentalized faith. Jesus talk on Sundays when you're around that type of person. Devil talk the rest of the week. And for many of you, the devil talk comes with you on Sunday too. You understand what I mean when I say a compartmentalized faith? Putting things into compartments. Putting things into compartments. The ways you act when people that are serious about Jesus are around, the way you act when they're not around and you're with others. And so many of you have so many divided selves because of those compartments. You struggle to remember which hat you're wearing, which person you are, which, you know, the, the word hypocrite comes from two faces, right? The actor that would put on the mask. So here I am. Oh, oh I need to be around Christian. See, this is funny as a pastor for many, many years, because as a pastor, I walk in the room and people start sweating sometimes. You know, you've met some of you, my friend, Mark Hefner, the missionary from Taiwan and things. And to be around Mark Hefner was to have the Apostle Paul like experiences, you know. Uh, So one time at the end of a school year, we decided to um, drive up to uh, uh, West Virginia where he had a grandmom from Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. And uh, inevitably, when you're with Mark Hefner, opportunities came up to witness and share. And the way it happened that time was my car breaking down somewhere in West Virginia. We got hauled by a tow truck over to a place, to a garage. And so uh, these guys, man, I heard curse words to this day I've never heard before. You know, and I grew up in a home of cursing. You know, I, I know about, you know, deities on popsicle sticks and all that, you know, crazy stuff that gets said. And I, just how I grew up. Parents cursed at me, I cursed back. But I heard words there, whoo, you know. But... Uh, we started sharing our stories a little bit individually. And the guys, oh, preacher, missionary, possible missionaries and things like that. And they, one by one, as other guys would come in cursing like sailors, they'd say, shut up, shut up, preacher's in here, preacher's in here. You know, and we got the guitar out and we were singing and we had a church service up in there that day. And I don't know if any of them repented of their sins or not and changed their ways, but they, they had a church background. They could sing the songs with us, but they were changing because, oh, the preacher's in the room, right? And some of you have thought about that. Okay, I'm coming into church. This is the day where I act different. The problem is, it's only that day and not all of that day. Some of you yelled and cursed at each other on the way here, and you yelled and cursed at each other on the way back, and here you are in church, and you're like, no, he's talking about you. No, he's talking about you. you know? It's different stuff. There's a lot going on there. Patterns, patterns, deeply ingrained patterns going all the way back. And here we come to Christ. And his word challenges to have this too submitted to the lordship of Christ, just like sexual purity, speech purity in our lives. Look again at verse 8. But you must put them all away. Say that with me. But now you must put them all away. And the image here is of taking off a dirty article of clothing so you can put on a clean one. Let me ask a question here very seriously. Is there anyone here who this week, after you took a shower and got all clean, or a bath, however you do it there, did you then put on the dirtiest article of clothing that you wore the last week? After getting clean with the shower, did you then put on unclean clothes, or did you put on clean clothes? No, you put off the dirty, right? 
And having had the shower, you put on something that you had that was clean. After you get cleaned, you put on clean clothes. Christian, having been made clean by Jesus, you don't put back on the sinful practices. You visualize yourself saying, I'm a new man, I'm a new woman in Christ now, and so now I'm putting on the kind of things Christ would have me put on. It says we're to put away. Your translation might say take off. Your translation might say cast aside. Put it away. Cast it off. Take it off. Cast aside things like anger, wrath, and malice. Now the word for anger is the same word that was translated wrath back in chapter 3 verse 6 when it referred to the wrath of God. The times we become judges of others that we want to be the judge. Here it refers to those habitual sinful attitudes we have toward others when we judge them. The problem with that is we're not called to be the judge. The Lord's the judge. Some of you need to resign as the judge. We got a good one already. Our perfect heavenly father. Now, we are to love God and to hate sin. But we're to love the sinner like God does even as we hate the sin they're caught up in and that we're caught up in. God's wrath is going to be poured out on the unrepentant. Our job is to pray for them and their situation and when prompted by God over a real issue of sin to speak the truth and love to that person, our job is not to just boil over in righteous anger, let it build up and let it build up and, let it build, and then we go off on people. That's why the Bible says, be angry and sin not, Ephesians 4.26. Our problem is we get angry and do lots of sinning. Just like we saw modeled for us somewhere along the way. We often react some of those same ways. And that leads to the next word in Colossians 3.8. This, this anger turns to wrath. And here it's speaking of outbursts of anger. It's usually used when, when, when it just boils over and we start shouting and are angry uh, visibly like that. And if your anger leads you to outbursts of anger, then you need to stop putting yourself in God's seat as judge. You need to get off the judge's bench and come around to the defendant's chair with the rest of us and throw yourself on the mercy of the court for your sin of outbursts of anger. Here's the bottom line. If you don't let God take away your anger, you will spoil your relationships with everyone around you. It happens in the home. It happens in the church. One of my favorite ladies in Waynesboro, I really did like her. She did a lot around the church, did a lot for Jesus. She's in heaven now. In one sense, she was the most encouraging person I ever knew because she would say a lot of encouraging things. But it at least once a month or so. She would just come up to you, me as the pastor, when I was a youth pastor before that, and she'd just rip me over something. And usually it wasn't a matter of sin, it was her perspective that was a lot like the church lady from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Judgmental, judging by human standards instead of God's word over issues like yeah, you know all the issues. We've talked about them before. Music, dress, you know, whatever it is, those things. And I, we're all human, right? I loved her. I liked being her pastor. But when I'd see her coming, I'd flinch and my eye would start to bat a little bit. 
in an intellectual level, I fully understood all the good things she brought to the table and for the church. But it was impossible to get past the fact that she might be coming after you with a proverbial baseball bat. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. And if it is you, you got to throw yourself on the mercy of God and saying, I need to stop justifying my anger that leads to outbursts. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, the word for malice that comes next describes an attitude of ill will. We got anger, we got wrath, and it leads to malice, an attitude of ill will towards someone. Based on our upbringing and life experiences, those attitudes, they get deep down inside of us. They turn into malice. They breed jealousy, resentment of individuals we don't like, and even groups of people. Left unchecked, the only word for it really is hate. It is hate. Malice. When we as Christians don't deal with those old sinful attitudes in our heart, they, th those things in our hearts eventually come out of our mouth. And so that's why even though he's going to talk about things that come out of the mouth, he starts with what's inside, that, that anger, that being the judge, that outburst that comes, those, those things. So in addition to putting away the anger behind our speech sins, in the rest of verse 8 and verse 9, we see we're called to put away our speech sins. We're called to put away our speech sins. According to the end of verse 8 and 9, we're to put away, and isn't it pleasant? He, he talked about three things inside. He talks about three things that come outside the mouth. I love it when it's just really symmetrical like that. Uh, the three things that come out are, he mentions, are slander, obscene talk, and lies. And slander is actually the word blasphemy there. Uh, and it's usually used of blaspheming God. So even though in the context here he's relating it to the slanderous things we say about people, so that's a good translation there. Let's start by thinking of the, the ways that even believers sometimes takes, take God's name in vain. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Um, so if you have been in the habit of saying Jesus as an exclamation point, there's an exclamation. Stop saying that when you're disgusted about something. Don't, don't take his name in vain like that. That's a, that's a form of blasphemy, taking his name in vain. Stop saying, oh my God. We will take you going back to oh my gosh at first, you know, even though gosh is short for God, you know. But don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Don't do that. Don't take his name in vain. Never use God's name and the D word about someone or something. If you're in the habit of doing that when your anger comes up and out, the problem's with you. There's something inside of that needs to be repented. Stop doing that. Walk away. Count to three. Pray to Jesus instead of misusing his name. But this is also about the slander of people here in the context. It is any words, even true words, that are coming out of your mouth and your basic motivation is to tear another person down in an attempt to make them look bad or to make yourself look better in comparison. Let's make a pledge together as a church. I want to share with you a quote from St. Augustine from 1600 years ago. And let's make it true of us here. The character of an absent person shall never be discussed. The character of an absent person shall never be discussed. That doesn't mean there's not serious things to discuss. 
but both in our political world, sometimes our church world, the way things happen online, there's a lot of character assassination that goes on rather than dealing with issues in a constructive context where things can actually change. Every time you see an example of a fellow Christian, a business leader, a teacher, a principal, a pastor, a a politician that is very good at skillfully listening and choosing their words, study them and, and learn from them. We are to be known for our graciousness. We are to be known for helping situations, calming, being peacemakers, and helping situations get better rather than just fanning flames, slapping each other on the back that agree with us about things. The reformers during the time of the Reformation, they would have done well to remember that Augustine said that, and we need to remember it in our day too. I think about Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and some of those great men of faith, and they, they, they had such powerful things to say, and they had such great vigorous discussions about wrong theological ideas. But then they would just attack the other guy and call him a barnyard animal. You disagree with me, so you're a swine, you're a pig, you're a, a donkey, you know, whatever those things. And that's just never helpful. So do speak the truth in love, but don't slander another's character. We're called to be those that build people up, not to tear them down. And that means we must not slander them. For those of you that wind up getting in fruitless discussions online, can I just say something? Many times I see somebody, a church member, somebody else post something. And it really worries me about their spiritual state in that moment. So you've got some way they've challenged the truth, something they've said that's, that needs to be challenged. You've got that over here. You've also got that this is an actual person saying these things. And then you've got a whole bunch of people watching this go on. And so you can be zealous for the truth. This lie out there needs to be corrected. And I'm the one to do it in 144 characters. Let me just tell you something that's gone a long way for me. When I see something like that, I shoot the person a message on Messenger, if it's Facebook on Messenger, and I say, are you okay? Now I get, remember I'm a pastor, so I get those pastor creds in this kind of discussion and stuff, but oftentimes I have such a great conversation with the person there, and within a couple hours they're saying and thinking differently than what they posted on there and stuff. A gentle answer turns away wrath. If you're exceptionally bad about relating to others, either in person or online, and you know it, and the Lord's convicting you about that this morning, let me encourage you to read the proverb of the day every day. There's 31 days of the longest month. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And it's better than a seminary class, better than a college class on communication, if you will every day read the proverb of the day, so this is the 22nd, read Proverb 22 today, it'll give you lessons in common sense for a people that have lost all knowledge of common sense. It says a lot about how to listen and how to speak. And it's even got things you've got to wrestle with and meditate on. Answer a fool according to his folly. The very next verse says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. What's that mean? Is it a contradiction? No, it's right after each other. They're not dumb. They weren't stupid. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't, right? 
And God, the Holy Spirit, helps you know this is a time to be silent. This is a time to speak. But Matthew 18 says when there's a sin out there, go to a person one-on-one and try to get it figured out. But do it in a spirit of love. Don't slander. Also, Paul here says, don't engage, and he calls it obscene talk. The word in the Greek means filthy words. Filthy words. I wish y'all understood Greek so you could see that word. Filthy, filthy, dirty words, man. Toilet paper words. There are jokes you heard and told before you were a believer that never need to be told again. Amen? Obviously, this involves all cursing as well. Now, listen, if you are the manager of a place... Uh, principal at a school, if you're the owner of a business, let me tell you, you, you have the authority. You can, you can require your employees to go in on a speech code. You can say, we will not say crass words in our workplace. We will not allow cursing here. Uh, if that's how you speak, you won't do it at the workplace. There is a decorum that should be observed. I wish I could pass, I, I want to take most laws away that we have, you know, because I'm more libertarian in, in instincts and stuff like that, but I do wish I could pass one, one law, and that is anybody that's got a bumper sticker with a curse word on it needs to spend the night in jail, <laughs> and their bumper sticker needs to be removed. There's no reason for me to be driving and look over to the left or right and see any curse word at all, but that's the kind of culture we're in. When a nation departs from God, It shows up in the way they devalue life coming out of the womb. It shows up in the way they speak. It shows up in the crudeness in so many different ways. It shows up in gambling being on the rise. Hello, Danville. It shows up in so many different ways. And cursing and crudity and those things in speech is one of those ways. Be part of the solution there. Now, Such language always makes the environment you're in worse, not better. But I'm talking to people now, so let me encourage you personally here. If you've got a problem and curse words just keep coming out, here's here's what I want you to do. Commit yourself to putting $10 aside for the Christmas offering every time a curse word or other filthy words come out of your mouth. This year we might give a million dollars to the Christmas offering. (laughs) If you don't get a hold of your potty mouth, that might happen. And then Paul adds lying to one another. Why are, see, these are sins against good relationships. And he adds lying to one another. Why is lying such a big problem? Because if I lie to you and you lie to me, it breaks our trust for one another, right? In your notes, I put precept, principle, person. And this goes back to Josh McDowell's good work in his book, Truth Matters. And he might have gotten it from somebody else, but you can follow the credit line back. I believe that for every sin, this is for you to talk about at lunch, for every sin the Bible calls a sin, there's a built-in consequence to that sin if that sin is done. So the precept is do not lie. The principle is we need truth to have good relationships. So the precept is a don't, but there's a do behind it, and it is that trust helps us, you know, truth helps us trust one another as we communicate with each other. But behind each precept and principle is the person of God. Every command of God is somehow rooted in his own character. And praise the Lord, God is a God of truth who will never tell you a lie. Satan will gaslight you. He'll lie to you. 
but God will always tell you the truth. And he'll always do it in such a way that gets to the heart of the matter, not superficial things that are all, all at the core of what needs to change about you if something needs to be changed. And I'm so thankful for him in that. So what is all this about? Having put off what shouldn't be there, we're to visualize ourselves putting on our new self in Christ. And next time we're going to see what those hard attitudes and words are. So he's going to go into some of the positive ways we're to communicate with others. He starts with these things that need to be put off like dirty clothes. And our final point is, verses 10 and 11, we are called to a renewed emphasis on creation in God's image. So verse 9 tells us we have to put off the old self. Verse 10 says, put on the new self, the self redeemed by Christ. And according to verse 10, look at it there. It says, each of us who are born again is being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. So when you start a trust in Christ, that renewal process started. He's renewing you in knowledge after the image of our creator. That means that now we're saved. We're going back to God's original design. Guess what? The blueprints are back there somewhere. God's already got them. Hey, Gabriel, bring me Danny Campbell's blueprint down here. Woo, he's a long way from that. He's a long way from what we designed him to be. But now what's been deformed can be reformed because Christ is transformed. Amen? And the same is true for you. We see a little bit of what that looks like as we ponder Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden. You can go back to the beginning and just think about what that perfect life looked like as they were called to be stewards and called to meaningful work before Satan tempted them and they sinned. We see a lot of what that looks like when we go to the book of Revelation and we read of a new earth and what it will look like after the final judgment. God is so gracious to us. He came down here and modeled what it looks like in one person, Jesus Christ. So asking the question, what would Jesus do if he was in my situation is a very good question to ask, you know, now that's not going to get you across a pool because we've got sin natures and we'd fall into that pool and stuff like that. But the way he interacted with people, uh, the the way he told truth to people they didn't want to hear, but did it in a way where they heard it the way he did everything he could to minister in a situation, all those different things. And we each are trying to do our part to live like that now, to bless others like that now. I love 2 Corinthians 5 that says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away, all's become new. In that same passage, he says, we're now ambassadors for Christ. You know, we are beseeching people to be reconciled to God. But one of my favorite things in that passage, you might want to look at it later, one of my favorite things in that passage is where he says, from now on, we don't regard anybody from an earthly point of view anymore. When we see lost people doing stuff, we say, well, gosh, lost people act lost because they're lost. Of course they do that. I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to try to build a bridge there and see if I can help them come to know Christ. We don't regard anybody from an earthly point of view. We know God has been so merciful and gracious to us, and he's helping us get from where we are to where he wants us to be. He's been very patient. If we could only be as patient with others as Jesus is with us. Did did y'all hear that? If only we could be as patient and loving with others as Jesus is with us, where would this church be? We're still pushing people away through dumb stuff we say. Stop it! Put it off! Put on Christ! Love like he loved! Now, was that being angry and sinning not? or being Okay. Um, we don't do it as good as God. But look what he says. 
He gets kind of, Paul gets kind of humorous with this in chapter 3, verse 11. <laughs> he says here, <laughs> where? Among God's people, the called out ones. The word ecclesia for church means called out ones. Here among God's people, there is, look what he says, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, none of that, but Christ is all and in all. Now, we know a little bit about the problems Jewish background people had with Greeks when the church got together, right? When God brought Gentile Greeks in with the Jews and how they had basic cultural background differences. We know a little bit about things they had to overcome and how Paul told them, uh, the Jewish ones, not to be legalistic with those new ones coming from this background. And he also said, make sure you're dealing with your idolatry and immorality as you come into the church if you're from those Gentile backgrounds, those anything goes backgrounds. The Jews with their Ten Commandments were a step ahead of you in knowing morality and you, you you need to come to know those things and do that. So we know about those, but it's kind of humorous because he goes beyond Greeks to some people that the Greeks had problems with. That's why he says barbarians. You know what a barbarian was by definition? Someone who didn't, Greeks used that word to describe those that didn't know Greek culture and didn't speak the Greek language. The other people to them! You got this Jews and Greeks, and here's Greeks saying, well, we're not barbarians. At least we're not barbarians. And so you could see Jews and Greeks coming together and saying, yeah, we're Christians now. At least we're not barbarians. Who are the Scythians? The Scythians were the most uncouth of the barbarians. So it's really funny that Paul's saying that because what he's really saying says none of that stuff matters the way we judge. Oh, my gosh, America's original sin, racism. Before it's a skin, it's not, there's, there's no skin problem. We got a sin problem. And so much more of it is there because of evolution than we understand. The church historically missed so much in reinforcing segregation and eugenics laws and all that stuff, but what really fueled it was evolutionary teaching. Charles Darwin taught when you get to people, there's five kinds of people with the black man at the bottom and the white man at top and everybody else in between. And that's why they made those dumb laws. And that's why the Ku Klux Klan resurged. The church was one idiot component of a bunch of idiots adopting evolutionary theory rather than sticking with the word of God. Paul says, none of that matters anymore. Here it's about Christ. So Christians look at all people and they see people that God created in his image and they see people that Christ died for. And when we become Christians, Christ is more important than every other label we used to use to compartmentalize people. Now I'm just going to make this statement after talking to some of my uh, African American brothers. It doesn't mean we're to make statements like, I don't see color. That would be like saying, I don't see gender. You do. You do. You do see male and female, and you do notice people's ethnicities. What it means is that you don't devalue anyone based on them not being the same as you. Ever again, you put it off, and you put on Christ instead. And you believe every local church should be a beautiful tapestry of what we're going to experience in heaven. And don't do anything on your own to push people away. You're to appreciate the differences as creative touches given by the masterpiece worker. He loves the diversity. He loves when red and yellow, black and white come to Christ. 
and worship together. Revelation 21, 26 says that on the new earth, the cultures of the world will bring the best of their cultural expressions into the new Jerusalem as an act of worship. If you don't like the sound of drums in your worship, you're missing out. It's going to be true in heaven. And horns and stringed instruments and all the different things. But none of those cultural differences will take away from the fact that there, Jesus will be everything to us. And if we put it off and we're putting him on, it'll be truer and truer every day now in the life of the tabernacle as well. Are you saved? Then keep letting God's spirit conform you to the image of Christ. Let me show you this verse. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he, he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's enough in that verse to talk about for a month. But I gave it to you in the context of this message because we often miss the most important point the speaker is making. Paul gave that verse and he said, listen, if you turn to Jesus Christ and he becomes your Savior and Lord, he's got a destiny for you to be more and more like Jesus until you get to be forever with Jesus. Remember back to the day that you were saved or the time frame you were saved if you don't know the day. That was then and here's today. From then till now, do you see that he's been conforming you to the image of Christ? Or did you believe the lie that this is merely hell insurance and nothing about you is transformed? Charles Stanley was right when he said, it is impossible for God to really be inside someone and that not be showing over time. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.